One of the joys of being able to live stream worship is that even though you may have chosen due to the weather not to come today, you are here with us. And we're glad that you are here as we gather together and begin our study today of the book of Acts. So if you haven't already, would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts? If you're using an electronic Bible like version, version on the events page, you can search for Southview, and there you will find our sermon notes for you. Otherwise, of course, they'll be on the screen here for you to see. Acts, the Spirit, the Church, and the World. The Spirit, the Church, and the World. I borrow that title from the subtitle to John R.W. Stott's commentary from the book of Acts. Some have said that the book of Acts may be the most important book in the New Testament. If anything, it is a bridge between the Gospels that tell about the life of Jesus and the epistles that tell about the growth of the church. But the introduction of the Holy Spirit and all the themes that we see in the book of Acts. Now, both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were written by Luke. How do we know that? Even though they're both pseudonymous, it doesn't say, hey, I'm Luke, I'm writing these. But there are 97 verses in the book of Acts in which are referred to as the we passages, where the writer is with Paul. Cross-referencing those with other New Testament books that Paul wrote, we find out that that is Luke. The early church believed it was Luke. No one doubts it was Luke. And when you consider Luke and Acts together, that makes up one-third of the entire New Testament. As Luke, the doctor, the historian, the Gentile who was educated based on his way that he writes his Greek was reporting what God had done in the life of Jesus and in the early church. The book of Acts was written in the mid-60s. How do we know that? Because when you get to Acts 28, things end abruptly. Right as we see from extra-biblical sources such as Roman history, what was happening in the world. It includes major themes of evangelism, the power of the Holy Spirit, the community life of Christ followers, teaching, prayer, breaking human barriers such as culture and language. It talks about the place of suffering in the life of Christians and, of course, emphasizes the sovereignty of God in all things. Now, Acts chapter 1 is really a microcosm of the book. We find in Acts chapter 1 a report of Jesus and His ministry Uh, Evidence of the resurrection, the importance and power of the Holy Spirit, the priority of the witness, the missionary attitude of Christians, the kingdom of God here on earth, the importance of the truths of the Bible as written in the past to remind us of what God's going to do in the future, the role of the apostles, the ascension and the second coming, and again, the importance of fellowship of believers So we've got our scripture memory verse for the month, and that is from Acts chapter 2, and we'll put that up on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Let's say that together. Acts 2, 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 38. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as we hear those words, a quote of what Peter said on the day of Pentecost, on the arrival of the Holy Spirit, to all people who believe in Jesus for all times henceforth. 
our hearts get a little bit excited. It's even by that same Holy Spirit that those of us that have trusted Jesus can live with you today. And even now, we're praying to you, and the Holy Spirit helps in that intercession. And here's that announcement, a historic day. But God, as we come today to open your word in Acts chapter 1 and begin a study of the book of Acts that will take us a long time, we're thankful for all that you did then and all that you'll teach us now. And in this sermon, as we consider the topic of anticipation, we are filled with anticipation as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I invited you earlier to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and I do want us to read our key passage of Scripture, that focal passage, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And if you're able to stand with me, would you stand in the honor of reading God's Word as we read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? That same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him going to heaven. May God add to the reading of His Word. Thank you. You can be seated. What God is doing sets the stage for the entire book of Acts with those themes that we see in the entire book of Acts, but it is anticipation that fills each of these questions. I've got six questions on your sermon outlines today, five of them from our text, one of them for our own reflection further uh, as a conclusion to our sermon. And the first one from chapter one is, what did Jesus begin? What did Jesus begin? Go back to verse one. In my former book, Theophilus. Okay, so the writer, as I already told you, Luke is referring back to the gospel of Luke. Theophilus means friend of God, so it could be a certain person, like an individual, or it could be a name for anybody who is a follower of Jesus, a friend of God. Probably it is a unique individual. He says, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Obviously, you caught my emphasis. 
began. That what Jesus did is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, is just the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, we might take a little pause here and say, hey, wait a second, Pastor Aaron. The passage of Scripture you just read, Jesus ascended into heaven. And the angels showed up and said, he's not coming back again until he comes to take everybody. How would Jesus still do work if he's not here on earth anymore? Hmm. I think you know the answer already, but if you want to play along, let's do so. We think about what Jesus began to do. That his ministry, recorded in the Gospels, was just the beginning. And the Acts of the Apostles, this book that we're going to study, and these men and women whose lives we will follow, is just a continuation of what Jesus is going to do in them, through the, or by the Holy Spirit, through the church, after his ascension. His work is being carried out even today. His work is being carried out by those of us that are the church now. You don't have to be a missionary to the uttermost parts of the earth to be on mission for Jesus. Each of us is where we live with the people we know, the job we have, the neighborhood we work in, the family we're a part of. If this is only the beginning, the Gospels, what's still to come? There's great anticipation in that for me, and I pray there is for you as well, which leads us to our second question. That second question of anticipation is how did Jesus encourage? How was it that Jesus went about encouraging those he was speaking to in this very moment? Well, reading verses 2 through 4, we see that. Luke goes on to write, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, there's some debate. Some folks say, now wait a second, was there just one ascension? Because there was one at the end of the Gospels, and there's this one right here at the beginning of Acts. Is there one ascension or there's two? Well, I would believe to say, and most conservative scholars would agree that there was two that Jesus ascended in this way for a certain reason to add an exclamation point, a stamp to his authority for those of us uh, uh, now and for all those that witnessed it then. And so he is come back and as this report has made appearances over a 40-day period. Verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Think about what we have recorded in the latter parts of the Gospels, the things Jesus said, the things Jesus did, the miracles Jesus worked, even then. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, this idea of the kingdom of God is God's presence in a spiritual sense over eternity. It is his rule and his reign, his sovereignty. We heard Jesus talk about that in the Gospels, and we hear Luke writing about it now, inner circle of 12 disciples that now are 11 apostles because Judas is no more. Those men still didn't all the way get it. We'll get there in just a moment. Verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. So, Jesus has a corporeal body. That's a fancy term to say he had a flesh like us, right? 
It wasn't that he was a ghost that he could walk through walls or walk on water or appear or disappear. It was that miraculously he could do things that none of us can do. No other person in history has been able to do. He was God in flesh and God gave him supernatural ability. We might debate things like that and say, well, well, we don't have any other evidence or any other proof of something like this. Well, that's kind of the way things go with miracles, right? Miracles don't have to have a precedent in order to be a miracle. Matter of fact, the things that makes a miraculous is that there is no precedent. It is so far out of the ordinary that we all go, whoa, how did that happen? And so Jesus is eating with them with a physical body. Don't know if he stayed the night. Did he, you know, just disappear at the end of the day, reappeared in the middle of the morning, spent the night in heaven? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But at this point, he's sitting down and he's sharing a meal with them. These were the people on earth that were closest to him. He loved them. Think about what he prayed for them in John chapter 17. And notice the command he gives now in the end of verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. Rewind your mind back to the Last Supper. And the last third or not even third, a little more than third, 40% of the gospel of John, in which in John chapter 13 and John chapter 16 in particular, he is telling them about the Holy Spirit that will come. It is the last supper that he's eating with them before he is crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And he's telling them about the Holy Spirit. And he's telling them, remember all that I've taught you about the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. And what was that key word there? It said, He gave them this command. That word for command means an order, like a military order. The same thing that the Roman uh, army would use at that time. In other words, this isn't a suggestion. You stay, you wait, because something is going to happen that you will not believe. Our question here was, how did Jesus encourage? I didn't put them because I meant us as well, right? How is it that Jesus encouraged them? He encouraged them to obey the command because the promised Holy Spirit was coming. We should be encouraged because the promised Holy Spirit has come. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have been indwelt by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and able to do anything and everything that God intends you to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. By His presence, by His appearance, by His promises, by the proof of His power, the proof of His love, Jesus encouraged them. And since we know that Jesus will keep His promises, wow, can you see the anticipation that the apostles here and those with them had to have had? Even though He's saying, wait, don't leave, something's coming. It's the Holy Spirit. Our third question on our outline this morning is, who did Jesus promise? Now, I've already said that multiple times. I just said it in the very last sentence. Who's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's coming. Who did Jesus promise? That's in verse 5 where he gets very specific. He says, for John, John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
So just in case they weren't clear of who he was referring to and didn't remember or weren't there when he spoke in the upper room to tell them about the Holy Spirit, as we have recorded in John 13 and 16 in particular, he's making it absolutely clear for those that are gathered at this time because it may have been more than just the 11. It probably was. It was a larger group, including women, teenagers, children, uh, all together in this room. And he says to them, You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, there will be points and times when that phrase comes back to us in our study of the book of Acts, and we'll talk more specifically about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are some churches that teach that there are multiple baptisms. There is a baptism, such as with water, like we do, but then there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that demonstrates Himself by the filling of the Holy Spirit, they would say, and by the certain signs, particularly that of speaking in tongues. That's not something our church believes you need to have. You may believe, you may have had experience, and we can talk about that. I'd welcome a conversation to hear about your experience personally about that. But today, we can't go deep into that subject of, is there a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit? One key to the understanding here is this, that in the apostolic era the era in which the apostles were working that we see recorded from the book of Acts through the rest of the New Testament, God had to do special things that are not normative now. Establish the authority of His apostles and start this movement that is the church that we're a part of today. That, I think, is the key to understanding how some were baptized with water but not filled with the Holy Spirit that we'll see later in the book of Acts. When Jesus says here, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So who did Jesus promise? The Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if you are one of them in that room when Jesus is speaking right then? You, if you're Jewish, knew stories from the Old Testament about how the Spirit came upon people and they did miraculous things. I mean, one man whooping up 300 people all by himself, like a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie or something like that, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And people prophesying things that would come true by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're in that room with Jesus and you know He says, I'm not going to be here anymore, but I'm going to leave you somebody else, you have that remorse that Jesus you love and you followed isn't going to be there, but you have that anticipation of what's it going to be like when we have the Holy Spirit in each of us? Which leads to our fourth question. The fourth question is, what did Jesus promise? We just asked, Who did Jesus promise? The Holy Spirit. But now we ask, what did Jesus promise? Because there are things that the Holy Spirit does that is important to everything to follow in the book of Acts and in our lives today. What did Jesus promise? Verse 6. So when they met together, they asked Him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Depending on when you grew up, you might say, dude. Or you might, you know, SMH, shaking my head. Or you'd be like, give me a break, you know, or whatever other expression you would use. Because these guys had spent three years with Jesus. 
And he had repeatedly taught them that it's the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not the kingdom of Israel being restored in a physical, political sense. Even the way they ask the question, the very Greek words, is they're talking about a political, physical kingdom. And Jesus, thankfully, doesn't upbraid them or clobber them. He answers kindly. He says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the dates of the times the Father is set by His authority. That's consistent through the New Testament. We don't know when Christ is going to return. We can see the signs in the Bible, but we don't know exactly when. In verse 8, this famous verse, a commissioning verse, a missions verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Anytime we have the word but, that's a hinge, right? We talked about that last week. They've said, Jesus, when are you going to start the kingdom of Israel? We're ready to be you know, your right-hand man and rule here on earth and get rid of those dastardly Romans. And Jesus says, but, he's saying what you understood is not true, but what I have for you is so much greater, is so much better, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. And in that verse It's almost like a table of contents for the book of Acts. In Jerusalem, that's Acts chapters 1 through 7. In all Judea, in Samaria, that's Acts chapters 8 through chapter 11, verse 18. And in the ends of the earth, that's the rest of the book of Acts through the chapter 11 through the end of chapter 28 when the book concludes. It's this echo of the Great Commission That his last command given should be our greatest concern, one writer says. We have no liberty to stop following this command of being his witnesses until the ends of the earth have been reached. Even to this day, there's people groups, unique ethno-linguistic groups of people in the far corners of the globe, even with all our technology, that there are no known believers in Jesus, if even a gospel witness in their language. That's the sign I'm looking for, according to Matthew 23, and according to Revelation, that there will be someone from every tribe, every tongue will be in heaven, and then the end will come. We're not there yet, folks. We look around at our world and we say, man, this place is a mess. What is COVID like a plague? Well, it's not near like the Bible plagues. It's just an inconvenience. And I know it's terrible and it's killed countless hundreds of thousands of people. But it's not anything like what we might see coming in the end. Jesus says to them, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that witness continues even to today. Notice verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud 
hid them. Jesus disappeared, gone from this earth physically until such time as he returns. Maybe it'll be in our lifetime. Maybe it'll be in our children's lifetime. Can you imagine what it'll be like? I had this vision when I was a teenager. Sometimes after church, me and some of my friends from the youth group would go to this park nearby our church. And I loved to swing, and they had super tall swings. So, you know, you could swing a long way. And it's in the summertime, in the Sunday evening after church, and the sun is setting in the west, and there had been a thunderstorm earlier, and the clouds were big and bold, and then all the different colors, and the light was caught on them. And I said, wow, I know that's the west, but can you imagine if we're on these swings right now, and this is the very moment when Jesus chooses to come back. That Mylon Lefevre song, Come On and Crack the Sky for Me, was popular then, 1987. Yes, I am old. Thank you. And so we're singing, Come on and crack the sky for me. Come on and crack the... And if we flew from the end of our swing and just kept going into glory, how cool would that be? You know somebody's going to be swinging on a swing when Jesus comes back, right? Somebody's going to be on a hang glider when Jesus comes back, and they're going to go, dude, I just lost my glider. Whoa, I'm on the way to heaven. How amazing will it be, no matter where you're at, no matter how it happens, when Christ returned, but Jesus was taken from their sight. Which leads us to that anticipation of his return. The fifth question is, how will Jesus return? How will Jesus return? Again, a question loaded with anticipation that one day He will return. They were looking up intently into the sky, and then two men dressed in white, well, angels, appear to them and say, men of Galilee. They weren't all Galileans, but speaking to that core group of them, why do you stand here and look into the sky? The same Jesus has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. Though His ascension was Amazing. Wait until you see his return. It's going to be like nothing this world has ever known. Which leads to our concluding question. Of all the things we can anticipate in the work that Jesus began in the Gospels, in the work that Jesus continues to do today, in the work that will happen until he returns to this earth someday, of all the things that are happening now and in the future that we can anticipate, what is it that you personally are most anticipating? Somebody you know that you desire to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord so you know they'll spend eternity in heaven. Maybe it's a child that isn't quite old enough to understand yet and you're praying for them that they trust Christ Jesus as their Savior. Maybe it's a teenager or an adult, a family member or a friend that you want to see them saved. Maybe this life has been hard on you and you have physical ailments. You're in pain and you're ready to be free of all that. And you know that in heaven you're going to have a body that won't be in pain anymore. Maybe your scars are not scars people can see, but you've been wounded emotionally which sometimes is so much more grievous than the things that we can see and happen to our physical body. 
And you know that in heaven, those things will be healed. Maybe you've been hurt by bitterness and unforgiveness. And you know in heaven, those things will be gone. It'll all be grace and forgiveness. What is it that you're most anticipating? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful as always for your word. And as we open this study of the book of Acts, we have anticipation of what we'll learn together, but oh, so much more so, we have anticipation of who Christ is and what He will continue to do in and through our lives, our church, and in all believers all around the world. God, our Father, I thank you for each and every person hearing my voice right now that is a believer in Jesus, that does have the Holy Spirit. And we gather together and pray for those who have not yet trusted Christ as their Savior and ask that even today they would confess Jesus as their Savior and Lord. We thank you, Father. And as we think about the Lord's Supper to come, here in just a few moments, may we prepare our hearts to worship you through that that reminds us that you will return. In Jesus' name, amen.